Hello, welcome to Penny Tolerable, where two large adult siblings talk about movies, TV, comics, and whatever else. We've spent a lifetime together, so you can spend some time with us. I am here to tell a story. And I am here for the food. My name is Charles Dickens. My name is Nathaniel the Red. Wait a second, you're not Charles Dickens. I am too. No, a six foot six, lumbering, long haired Charles Dickens who hangs out with a guy who says he's a rat for a comedy bit. Absolutely. Charles Dickens was a 19th century novelist, a genius. Oh, you're too kind. Why should I believe you? Because I know the story of a Muppet Christmas Carol like the back of my hand. Prove it. All right, um, there's a little mole on my thumb and uh, a scar on my wrist from when I fell off my bike. No, 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 don't tell me about your hand. Tell us the story. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. That has been the Muppet Christmas Carol opening to the Muppet Christmas Carol episode. We still have another 87 minutes of that. <laughs> we do. It was me the whole time. <laughs> you... You were Nathaniel the Rat the yeah, whole time? Nathaniel the Rat, even now. That's why Whitey Bulger took a shot at me. <laughs> I always, my brain always has to pause and remember if I want to say Whitey Bulger or Whitey Ford anytime I bring up either of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this episode is our Christmas episode, our holiday episode. Mm -hmm. Um... We're going to be talking about, uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about The Muppet Christmas Carol, which is maybe the best Christmas movie ever. Well, best Christmas movie ever? Yeah, why not? I, you know, that sounds hyperbolic, but I'm, what, what would be better than this as far as Christmas movies? It's like this, Nightmare, what else we got? I'm struggling to think <laughs> Yeah, and uh, maybe we should throw down our bona fides to start with. Uh, I am, I consider myself uh, a religious, <laughs> but uh, I enjoy the holidays in general. And there's something about Christmas, and it's not, it's not even really the, uh, the commercialist aspect of it, but I like the, the kind of Yuletide feeling of it. Yes. I like when, just this time of year. Mm -hmm. When it gets colder, or in our neck of the woods, it doesn't get that cold, unfortunately. And yeah. it's probably going to change year to year to year, but we'll worry about that <laughs> later. Uh, that's been our philosophy, right? We'll worry about that particular problem later. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that the the nights start at about 3.30 yeah. and then continue until all the way till the next morning. And I like the... I like when things end, so I like the idea of a year ending, and it gets dark, mm -hmm. and I think there's still this kind of animal memory of, like, we better huddle together for warmth and, like, watch puppets and things like that and <laughs> eat too much, and then everything's going to suck in January, but, yeah, for the time being, it's a lot of fun. So, because of that, I probably have a greater fondness for Christmas than a man my age should. Having said that, Actual theatrical Christmas movies tend to not be very good, right? Right. Yeah. And there, there's individual stuff. So, like, uh, Christmas, TV Christmas specials. Mwah. Yeah, Rankin-Bass. All the Rankin-Bass stuff. How the Grinch Stole Christmas. That weird Richard Williams version of uh, Christmas Carol. Mm -hmm. That stuff's all terrific. You know, your favorite shows doing Christmas episodes. That's always yeah. good. And there are a couple good Christmas movies, but they're, as far as, again, feature films, they're so outweighed by the bad ones, right? Yeah. For every Muppet Christmas Carol, there have to be 40 Santa Clauses and Jingles Alls the Ways. Jingles mm. Alls the Ways, Squiz Goes! And then, yeah, we get a perfectly good 25-minute Grinch uh, TV special, mm -hmm. and then we have to put up with the, the Illumination Grinch. Yeah. And the Ron Howard, which may be the worst film ever made. <laughs> like, it's not, you know, it, it's not like The Men Behind the Sun or something. I don't think anyone died making the Grinch movie. Like, 
I have that, that that to me is like roller gator level bad. It's like, pretty bad. Like it it's not just like, oh this is poorly made. Those special effects wouldn't be convincing even back then. It it is torturous to watch that movie. Supposedly it was torturous for him to be in that makeup. Yeah, well, you know, nothing against Jim Carrey, but uh, he deserved it. <laughs> if he made that thing and got paid, I'm assuming about $20 million for it, mm-hmm. I'm glad he almost went blind. And I will go on record saying that. <laughs> Watch out, now he's going to do an impression of you on us. Oh, no. I'm sure it'll be super accurate and everything. <laughs> What are they going to do with that, by the way? Is he just going to stick around for four years, even though nobody asked him to, like Baldwin? I think so. Yeah, that's a whole other discussion, I think. the uh, What was the exact moment when SNL went from charmingly hit or miss to miss and miss? Anyways, this is the Christmas spirit. Welcome, everybody. Be of good spirit. Have no need better, man. Yeah. So, one thing I do love, and it has, it does tie in with SNL, the Muppets. Yes. The Muppets are dope. The Muppets rule. Why do we like the Muppets, Jeremy? Not, and not just because we grew up with them. Like, objectively, why do you think the Muppets are cool? Muppets are... They've got a hipness to them, Dean. It's kind of weird to say that about, like, children's characters, but, like, children's entertainment characters, but there is a hipness to them. Like, you see, you know, that clip of Dave Grohl and Animal trying to out-drum each other. Yeah. Like, it. it's just neat. Yeah. Like, pe- pe- people who are legitimate big huge stars are like dude i get to work with kermit are you serious that's (laughs) that's a really good way to put it um and i feel like uh i feel like hipness does not have to be tied to a relative area so like you look at rocky and bullwinkle yeah it's a children's barely animated television (laughs) show produced uh i think when we were still in korea (laughs) And yet, if you watch the thing, it's like, yeah, obviously very, very, very dated in a lot of ways, but it's it's like clever and sly, and Bullwinkle himself is not just like a duh, duh idiot. He's a clever goofball. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm beat. Oh, I don't even belong to that generation. It's like, okay, yeah. the pun doesn't work. But that, I mean, that that was that's the secret of the character. He's not stupid. He's the goof who will, like, say the silly thing and make himself the butt of the joke, which is why he remains likable. Um, I think there's something similar going on with the Muppets, where they are very, very old school. And whenever they try and make the Muppets cool, it doesn't work. It's very poochy. It is very poochy. I think that's... Not, not that they're, like, laughless or just an absolute waste of time, but whenever they do, like, Muppets Tonight or, like... What, 30 Rock, like the Muppets, but they hate each other. And they're uh, fucking. Yeah, the, like the, the Muppets. <laughs> um, those fall apart to me, or, or just don't really hold up, because it's like, we got to figure out a way to make the Muppets cool. It's like, the, the Muppets are cool. They don't need to have skateboards. Like, <laughs> Link Hogthrob is a funny name. You don't have to put like a like Chuck E. Cheese, but he looks like Kurt Cobain now. <laughs> like it's it's kind of fine. Yeah, yeah. Like like look at Beaker and Bunsen. Don't mess with that. It works. <laughs> Swedish show. I don't know if it's racist or not, but it works. Uh, so the Muppets are very cool, and uh, this uh, this movie comes out in this little liminal space where, to be honest, the Muppets were kind of. Uh, past their peak popularity. Yeah. Yet not yet old enough for... Uh, like, lately it's a Muppet revival. Mm-hmm. So I, I grew up on the Muppets. Yeah. Whereas this was, like, five years after Muppets Take Manhattan, which is fun, but, like, yeah. that was, like, less popular than, like, mm-hmm. the Muppet movie and the Great Muppet Capers. So 
it's getting into this like weird mid area in the 90s and so they went to this well which is uh adapting popular works of fiction tales from the public domain yeah and the funny thing is usually that's a kiss of death Yes. Usually, by the time a property does, like, hey, Tom and Jerry's Wizard of Oz, mm. that's it's just time to put a bullet in it. Yeah. Yeah. And sadly, the Muppets did a couple of those on TV movies, which I think are largely forgotten. Although Muppet Treasure Island is dope as hell. Well, that's the, like I say, the TV movies don't, I don't know. Nobody ever talks about those. This and Muppet Treasure Island rule. Yeah. They are awesome. They are funny the songs are great they look good yes for what for a movie with what two human characters or three <laughs> yeah this movie is beautiful like the i mean the it's right in that same area like when it was still all puppetry still mm-hmm. the henson sweet spot so the puppets look good of course but like even the sets like when kermit's like wandering home at night i'm sorry bob cratchit and you have, like, the houses are kind of overbuilt and top-heavy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that looks beautiful. Like, the hominess is homey. The darkness is dark. Yeah. Like, you watch it and you go, yeah, this dark crystal looks amazing. Labyrinth looks amazing. This looks amazing. <laughs> so... Uh, let's dive into it. I, you know, if it seemed like we were making fun of X-Men for six months, this is going to be purely an appreciation thread, I think. Yeah. Uh, we start out, you know, the funny little bit between Rizzo and Gonzo. Uh, then, of course, Gonzo is the omnipotent. Omnipotent. Omniscient. Yeah. Omniscient, uh, guy. The, the narrator, who, uh... <laughs> that omniscient guy. <laughs> you know, when I was studying creative writing, I had to get the hang of first, second, and third dude perspective. <laughs> <laughs> the worst part is I am a writer. Yeah. But, yeah, th- this goes straight into the, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge song, which is just... Michael Caine skulking through the streets yeah. while everyone talks about, you know, uh, if he became a flavor, you could bet he would be sour. Yeah. Just <laughs> all these wonderful, just every little character seems to be, seems to have a harsh word for him. And the music is done by Paul Williams. Yeah, the music for the, the Penguin. The Penguin himself. Yeah, which he even wrote some lyrics for his own kind. Because remember there's the skating party when uh, Bob Cratchit's packing up and Paul Williams went like, hey, you know, I promised that if I made it, I wouldn't pull the ladder up behind me. I would, you know, help my uh, Penguin brethren to succeed in Hollywood as well. So, it man as good as his word, much like Scrooge himself. Uh, we're not going to do, like, a synopsis approach to this, right? No. Okay, can I... I don't mind, like, getting into the opening. Yeah, I think people yeah. might know this movie, and maybe especially A Christmas Carol. Yeah, just movies like, well, it starts with Scrooge, and then this happens, and like, wait, 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 like, we're not going to no. tell them that the ghosts visit, right? No, we're not doing that. So, okay, um, so perhaps breaking it down a little more thematically, like, uh, for me, just about everything in this works. Yeah. Like, I, I'm, again, I'm not going to say it's, like, a perfect movie. Like, I, I don't know if The Muppet Christmas Carol is a better movie than Miller's Crossing. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything I would change about it. There's no, like, the humor doesn't get, like... By, by the way, not that I mind, like, filthy, filthy humor. But it would yeah. be, like, atonal here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if a Muppet makes a fart joke, you go, like, what, what are we doing Leave and, that to Shakespeare, for God's sake. And also, I think we've had enough of <coughs> puppets being naughty with, yeah. you know, Meet the Feebles um, and Greg the Bunny and the Happy Time Murders. It's it's like... Which is from the Henson group, unfortunately. Yeah. It seems like every ten years, somebody just says, Hey guys, what if puppets came... Mm-hmm. 
And that's the joke. Yeah. And I, I will say, though, I'm not like a fan of Greg the Bunny. To his credit, the guy who created it is the same dude who then made the Florida Project and Tangerine. Really? Yes. So that that's like, I'm like oh, that's not my thing, but it's something. <laughs> hmm. The... Greg, the bunny is not my thing. Tangerine and Florida Project are very much yeah. my thing. I love those movies. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the anyway, like this was never going to be like an an R rated, like pushy, edgy comedy or anything. But you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Like tons and tons of pop culture references. It doesn't feel like they need that. Like. They, they reference culture. They have celebrities on. Yeah. But here, the one of the best jokes in the movie is also one of the subtlest, because they want Statler and Waldorf to play Jacob Marley, who was one guy. Yeah. It's now Jacob and Robert Marley. Yeah. As in Bob Marley. Yeah. That, to me, is like a reference that's clever, and it takes you a second, and you go, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funnier than just like, hey, look, it's the Muppets, and Karima Abdul-Jabbar. <laughs> I wonder if the Muppets will team up with Wishkid. Uh-oh, who can help the Muppets solve this mystery? It's the Burger King Kids Club! And the dinosaurs! <laughs> yeah, except the, wait, the dinosaurs. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say Disney's dinosaurs. Turn off that rock and rock music. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there is, but like there are references, but without that const, constant constant need to feel yeah. like. What, what if like Rizzo and Gonzo started doing like the Vanilla Ice dance? Yeah, yeah. So, um, if it seems like we're like getting mad at the movie for things it didn't do, that's my point. There is a universe where like DreamWorks or somebody made a piece of shit version of this. Yeah. But no, in our this is the last time anything good happened in our main timeline. You just have movies that are like graceful and witty and yeah. charming and heartful. So mm. um now you say this is the best Christmas movie. Uh why would you rank it like that? <sighs> Well, it's, first off, it's a great, legitimately great retelling of an old classic. Yes. Uh, it looks beautiful. Like, uh, the, the, the effects are great. One of the effects that always stuck with me was the ghost of Christmas past. Yeah. Because I don't know how they do her, but she, she looks a bit like a a Gelfling, yeah, which reminiscent of a Gelfling, and she's diaphanous and flowing like she's underwater. And there's they do a lighting effect on her, which I don't know if it was on set or in post, but it's great and looks subtle without being like the Hobbit or something where there's just like lens flares and stuff, yeah. Like that. Um, I'm with you there. Something I noticed about classic uh, Henson Mm -hmm. in this is uh, one of the dogs that pops its head out the window is Sprocket from Fraggle Rock. Oh, yeah? I I saw it, I was like, that's Sprocket! Yeah, that's what was great about uh, when, uh, not just Jim Henson, but like the Henson, Henson Corporation, like the Creature Workshop. Mm-hmm. where they were sort of everywhere for a while, yeah. you would see those things pop up. So you're like, yeah, why wouldn't a gremlin be in something? Why wouldn't a Skeksis be in the background of something? <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm very throaty today. It's like Christmas cheer. Um, that's the price you pay for having pipes like mine. Um, so yeah, you take the Christmas Carol, which is so heavily done that it's almost impossible to come to it with fresh eyes. It's like reading the the Bible for the first time or anything. Yeah. You have to unlearn what you've already learned. Um, And in this case, because it is so heavily referenced, it's easy to lose track of the fact that it's, uh, it's pretty good. (laughs) Like Charles Dickens had his, uh, you know, failings as a human being Mm -hmm. uh, to be sure you can look him up, but I feel like that kind of, you know, bigness of spirit was sincere it, to a greater degree than, say, like, Frank Capra. Yeah. Like, and, like, I don't think Frank Capra is, like, 
uh, like a rotten person or anything. But when I watch his movies, I get a little bit of a feeling of like, okay, this will play in the cheap seats. I'll have them, you know, blowing their nose with a pancake. They'll be so full of stuff. Like, it, it's very like, there's a button marked like cry now. Yeah. And I feel like uh, I feel like Preston Sturgis is like the better of the the humanist mm. filmmakers from that era. Uh, so when Dickens writes about like you know getting into the Christmas spirit and warmth and the hearth and humanity, I don't see it as being you know terribly like cheesy and paint by numbers because at that point Christmas was not as big as it is now. Yeah. His novel is one of the things that helped establish Christmas as, like, the Ur holiday. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the trappings around it. And so there's something... You catch glimpses in here, in the story itself, as well as this movie, where it calls back to something, like, a little older. The ghosts in this feel genuinely ancient. Yeah. And uh, the, the fact that the... The Ghost of Christmas Present has this kind of like Falstaffian, like mm-hmm. Lord of the Haunt quality to him, even though he's a yeah. really benign figure. Yeah. You know, you get little bits like that laced through that, uh, I, I don't know, it just feels like there's there's something underneath like the, the sugar and the sweetness to him. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think of Gonzo and Rizzo as uh, our intrepid narrators? I think they're very charming. You know, it it would be so easy for them to be annoying. Yeah. And they're not. The fact that they are largely observers and commentators, as opposed to, like, butting in and getting in the antics and everything. That, like, they have their own antics on yeah. the side. I think that works better than, like, this story we all know well, but we're going to pump the brakes every five minutes yeah. so that, like, a Michael Caine can chase Gonzo around the table. Yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting how one of the running jokes is that whenever there's an inside shot, yeah, it's there's literally a scene of them running inside yeah. of the house before the door can close. Yeah. Which I think is really... Uh, that's neat to me. Yeah. And... This makes me realize also that the 90s were the decade of Gonzo. Yeah. Because we got this, Treasure Island, and then Muppets in Space. Probably not my favorite, but at least it's Gonzo-centric. And this runs home that uh, Gonzo is secretly, uh, of the the core Muppets, the ones that warranted tiny Muppets, Gonzo's the best Muppet, right? Yeah. Yeah. As love the Muppets, they're all adorable, but like... Miss Piggy just has her thing where, like, the event Nicole Brown thing of, like, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do this. I think, like, karate chop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kermit's cute. Kermit's charming, but he's a little, a little milk toast. Yeah. And then Fozzie works best as a supporting character. Gonzo is just a freak amongst freaks. And just, like, good-natured. Weirdly, like, like, braggadocious without being egotistical. Mm-hmm. There's something charismatic and uh, underdoggy about him at the same time. Yeah. And also he just has one of the, literally one of the best voices, one of the best mm-hmm. character voices. So the fact that they made he and Rizzo, like, the, because Kermit has to be cast as, like, the main character. Yeah. They decided, oh, we could just have these two, like, be there. They could just be doing stuff. <laughs> and then Animal's actually the best Muppet, but you can't anchor a whole story around him. <laughs> it's interesting. This movie was... I was quite young when I saw this. This movie was my introduction to Michael Caine. Oh, you know, mine too, probably. I had seen Alfie when I was four, but I don't think I appreciated it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I watched it. Like, Dad showed it to me and said, like, this one's amazing. After this, if you're still awake, I'll show you Get Carter. And then we finished Alfie, and I went, what's it all about? So what do you think of Michael Caine in the best Scrooge? Yeah. Sorry, Alistair Sim. (laughs) Sorry, Alistair Sam. Go design a video game series, Alistair Sam. Uh, Why do you think he's the best Scrooge? Because... 
he he doesn't overdo the evil. He 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 doesn't seem evil. He seems bitter, like just endlessly bitter. Yeah, like the this. Like, he, he's never taken time to enjoy himself. Uh, he... He's he's his own worst enemy. You yeah. know, he's had a lot in his life that has gone so very right, but he's sabotaged so much in his life. Like, he never played with other kids because he thought, like, oh, you know, I, more time for school, more time for studying. You know, he, he let his... Uh, fiance slip away because it's like, well, you know, I won't, we won't have a nice house if we get married now. Yeah. We won't have a nice social standing if we get married now. And uh, it's just, it shows the man, it shows a man who his enemy is himself. Yeah. Which I think is good. Yeah. And I, I think obviously that's true. It's not like there's a, a villain in the story because he is it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like the Grinch takes the same text and then boils it down to an even more perfect little diamond. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, no, uh, Scrooge is, you know, an interesting character for precisely that reason. Somebody who is not evil, but has made hard choices. Not, not as in difficult choices, but as in, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm going to be studious. I'm going to save. I'm not going to have any time for frivolity. And this is the reward he gets. He has immense wealth, a degree of clout, and absolutely no social connection of any kind. Yeah. And uh, I think Michael Caine does that well because Michael Caine's a pretty terrific actor. Yeah. Could be argued he's not really a chameleon. Like, he tends to, you know, you know when you're watching Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah. It's like how Sean Connery's a great actor because he's so good at being Sean Connery. Yeah. And they were friends. <laughs> they were friends. And The uh, Man Who Would Be King is a marvelous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny in that now when they play opposite Christopher Plummer, who actually is arguably, like, a better actor than either of them, but doesn't have that pure screen presence that they do. Um, So Kane is very good, and one reason he's a good fit for Scrooge in particular is because he can be charming and cruel. Yeah. And that's, that's the, like, when, like, Tom Hanks played a bad guy in Road to Perdition, it's a good movie, but you're like, Tom Hanks isn't gonna shoot anybody. Yeah. Come on. And same thing, there's... When you have, like, the, uh, I don't know, the tough guy playing sweet or whatever. When Michael Caine started movies where he shot people, I totally bought it. And then when he started movies where he was, like, somebody's uncle, I bought that, too. Like, in, yeah. in Children of Men, he's, like, like the sweetest, most admirable guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe in real life he was a Thatcherite, meaning a... He shares Ebenezer Scrooge's uh, political values, it seems. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can make fun of the guy that's neither here nor there. And he seems like a nice guy, and he's terrific talent. Uh, and they, there's something very workmanlike about his acting that I like as well. Yeah. Very much like, how, how do you act? You show up, and you read your lines, and you stand in the right place. Yeah. Like, yeah, there, there is something... There's not a lot of preciousness around Michael Caine. Yeah. So he there there are a lot of actors nowadays who are kind of just Captain Paycheck. Uh-huh. He doesn't seem to be one of them. He seems to be one who will be in your thing, but Yeah. Like whatever Wait. it is, but I don't know, a lot of the the whole paycheck actors nowadays, they seem to just do it for the money, and they don't put their all into it. Like, Patrick Stewart, when he's in something that is goofy, he plays goofy to the hilt. Mm-hmm. You know, watch American Dad, for God's sake. Yeah. And I feel like the the big example of this is uh, not the worst actor. He's quite good. But maybe the most mercenary actor in the world is like Anthony Hopkins. Mm-hmm. 
as a guy who, if he's feeling like it, he'll act, and if not, he's just like somnambulant yeah. in so many of his performances. Which is funny, because at this point, Michael Caine was uh, famous for being somebody who would take any role. Yeah. People uh, joked about he was in you know Jaws 4. And there's that yeah. classic joke where they said, uh, did you ever even see Jaws 4? And he said, no, I saw the house that it paid for. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which that, that right there, that's like what I mean when I go, I kind of like this dude. Um, but famously, he would take any role. That uh, episode of The Simpsons where James Woods, back when we still liked James Woods, yeah. when he uh, replaces Apu with the Quickie Mart, that was going to be Michael Caine initially. The joke was he will take any role, so they just hired him at the quickie mark. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because these days, Michael Caine kind of, you know, he's still working, but it's mostly like he'll be in Christopher Nolan films. He'll do a movie if he feels like it. It's not this absolute, like, okay, time to pay for, like, you know, California property taxes or whatever mm-hmm. we're doing here. Um, is it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting the with one of my absolute favorites, possibly my absolute favorite, uh, old actor, uh, Christopher Lee. Up until the end, it was just you know what do you got, what what do you got, what do you got, what do you got, work work work, yeah, and and so with uh, Kane, you know, he obviously and much like the Grinch, I think it's probably most fun to be like early Scrooge. Mm-hmm. That's the problem. Like that, That's the thing about Despicable Me, for instance. Yeah. Like, whatever else I think about those movies, Carell's like a good, fun actor. The problem is that Gru, when he's like mean and threatening to kill his neighbor's dog, you're like, oh, this is kind of fun. And then after that, he's just like, nice. Yeah. You know, like, you, you, you can't have like part two of a redemption story. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, Scrooge and Pinocchio and the Grinch and everyone else, they're, we like seeing them be bad and then turn good in the last five months. Yeah. So his berating rats and frogs in his office is a ton of fun. Um, and the redemption at the end is, you know, very sweet as well. feels very genuine. Mm-hmm. And th- there's little moments, like, I love when uh, the famous scene where he sees his own gravestone. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. like, the, the ghost of Christmas yet to come is, like, pointing at it. And Kane's like, oh, 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 And, like, he's, like, walking up, and he kind of points at, like, a different tombstone. Yeah. Like, is that the guy's there? And the, it's all silent, and the ghost is like, oh, like, points at the main one. Yeah. And it's, it, it is funny. Like, you watch it, and you laugh a little, but it, it's not, like, sticky. It's gallows humor. Yeah, it it feel it feels like weirdly authentic to the moment. Like if you told me Kane just did that during that take, yeah, and they left it in, I would believe it. And that's the that's the trick. And joking aside, Alistair Sam is wonderful and kind of the proverbial mental image of Scrooge, the way that like Basil Rathbone is for Sherlock. Yeah, not the best, but just the default. Yeah, automatically. Um, like Bela goes yeah, Dracula exactly and so with uh, with Kane the fun thing is that you see him start to thaw out a little bit mm. and the problem with a lot of Scrooge is, is that it, it's like you know, oh here's the problem your Scrooge was set on evil yeah like it, it's just like he's bad he's bad he's bad and then he's good you see those little moments. Even before the spirits show up, when the Marleys show up, and there's that terrible poem that's in the book. It's like, mm. you're nothing but a bit of undigested beef. There's more of gravy than a grave about you. Yeah. And, like, he I, he kind of has a little twinkle when he says it, where you're like, oh, at least Scrooge thinks Scrooge is funny. Yeah. And then, actually, maybe my favorite section of the film is... Uh, I like the Scrooge song, of course, but the extended scene is a Christmas present because you can see him wanting to be yeah. part. That's the thing. The past is sad because it's regret. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't, like, it's the most painful, like, show me no more. Yeah. The future is painful because it's, this is where you're going to end up. Yeah, you're fucking dead. Yeah, you're dead, you're grave robbed, and nobody missed you. The present is when you can still kind of reach out and grab the thing. 
And obviously, like, the Tiny Tim stuff is sweet. I, I'm thinking of the other bits, though, like... When, when, when he sees Fred making fun of him with Yeah, when family. he starts playing charades with the family. Like, he starts... He's like, oh, I said it first! Yeah. Like, and, like, that's such a cute little moment. And same thing, when he goes in and he sees, you know, the big Falstaffian ghost. He's like, sorry, I'm a little absent-minded spirit. It's like... You are a large absent-minded spirit. I have over 800 brothers. They get the grocery bills. Yeah. And it's, and this is the point where I get infuriated because Jeremy's Michael Caine is better than mine. What do we fall, Master Bruce? Minders keepers. <laughs> That's for five people. Um, yeah. So our entire audience. Uh, so... It's those little moments. I think he does a great job. It's the same way, like, in the Muppet Treasure Island, they did the same thing. You get a bunch of puppets and, like, Muppety oddballs, and then you anchor it with an awesome actor. Yeah. In this case, it's Michael Caine. And that one, it's Tim Curry. Which, same thing. It's like, well, who, who else to play Long John Silver? Yeah. The whole point is that he's over-the-top and conniving, so you might as well have the... Uh, when I was just a lad, looking for my true vocation, a quiet cannibal took from me, Yeah, <laughs> That's true. I were only fooling, son. Yeah. So, good God, Tim Curry is a pirate. Because Tim Curry, the, the whole Tim Curry to do the voice, you just, you just bite on everything, you know? Yeah. Toxic love. Just draw everything out. I see you've met him already. Now you haven't. You just do that, and then you add, like, the Bristol accent to that. Yeah. Har har, my lads. Oh, gosh. We need a, we need him to pop up in Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm. I mean, sadly, now I don't think he's popping up much anywhere. But pour one out to a real one. Mm. Um... You want to talk about the music for a minute? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, the version I saw yeah. while rewatching this did not have The Love is Gone. Most of them don't. And that is such a beautiful, yeah. sad song. No, it's... And I, I don't know, like, some people have pointed that out and said, like, oh, it's it's sappy, and it's cheesy. Well, what, what are you? Why are you watching a Christmas Carol if you, you need, you know, subtle emotion? It's not really that kind of thing. It's a it's a heartbreak ballad. It's exactly mm-hmm. what it should be. Uh, when the film first came out in theaters, it had uh, "When Love Is Gone." Mm-hmm. And if people, if by the way, if there's maybe people listening to this who don't know what we're talking about, when uh. Young-ish Scrooge, 20-something Scrooge, breaks up yeah. with his fiance, And it's fun. There's no puppets anywhere. <laughs> yeah. They split up, and he says, I love you. And she says, you did once. And then she launches into this very sad song about realizing... Not falling out of love, but realizing love is already gone. It's already too late. Yeah. And they walk off, and that's the point where... and. It, yeah, I think in most versions it just cuts to Scrooge going like, no, no, it's too sad, take it away. Yeah, yeah. It, it's a very abrupt cut. Yeah, so besides just, you know, the cut's a little smoother there, it's just a nice little song, and it's not like it's a long movie anyways. Right. I think it's like an hour and 22 minutes. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a kid's movie. It's like an hour and a half with credits. Yeah. That's what it should be. So uh, that's in there. It was in the theatrical release. It was in... Early releases, uh, it's on Laserdisc. I could swear that it's on a couple VHS copies, Mm because I know I saw it more than once in my life. Most modern versions and most streaming versions don't have it. And I don't know why. It wasn't a copyright thing. It, you know, there were no legal reasons. It was just sometime after it got out there, somebody decided... It slows down the movie or something. So it's It's too sad it slows down the movie. Yeah, and there's no Muppets, I guess. Which Mm -hmm. I wish they wouldn't, because it's a really, really sweet little song. Um, Watching this... I haven't seen it in a few years, although I think once upon a time I used to watch it annually. Yeah. Yeah, much like Nightmare. That was the the perennial one. 
Um, listening to the the soundtrack though, yeah, that's not that's usually on like my Christmas mix along with like the Bells of Dublin and uh, oh, what the hell is the other one? The Jethro Tull Christmas album. <laughs> If it's I should fall goodies. from grace with God. Yeah, oh, of course that. Like, Pogue's Christmas music. Mm. Uh, Jill So Buell's Christmas mini. Any, anyways, you don't need to peer behind the curtain of my listening habits, but I'll pop that on for fun. And uh, the Paul Williams soundtrack, just cruising along, listening to it. I, I kind of miss this particular era of uh, musicals. Because I feel like these days, something is either a musical or it's not. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. So, like, In the Heights and Les Miserables and everything, that's a musical. But, like, Wreck-It Ralph doesn't have songs in it. Zootopia doesn't have songs in it. Uh, there's, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, a, a single they released to go mm-hmm. with it, but that's not what I mean. Um, but, I mean, that era of Disney and Muppets where the plot would be told with songs. Yeah. And the only one I can think of in living memory that did that is uh, Moana. Yeah. Which, by the way, the songs are the best thing in Moana. Yeah. Like, sorry, like, You're Welcome, Shiny, like, th- those are amazing. <laughs> that's that's the best part of the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Hearing Jermaine Clement do Bowie. Yeah. As a da, giant, da, da. <laughs> giant crab. Man. Um, so yeah, that's, and listening to this, I'm like, oh, we haven't done this in a while. We don't, when was the last time you, like, not only did you get a pretty good movie, but you got Scrooge, and When Love is Gone, and Only One More Sleep Till Christmas, Mm -hmm. and, uh, It Feels Like Christmas? (laughs) Yeah. And what's what's the one at the end? The uh, thankful heart. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, this is what this was the point of these. Instead of having to write big dramatic scenes that would feel awkward and what is ultimately like youth entertainment, you use music as shorthand, and then that creates the parallax effect where that then becomes shorthand in real life where. If somebody has like a redemption, groundswell, beauty moment, I start hearing the Thankful Heart song in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I miss that. Like, how, how, how should we introduce Scrooge? Everybody sings about how much they hate him. <laughs> how should we show he's nice now? He sings about how much he loves everybody. <laughs> what else is he going to do? Talk? <laughs> um, There's something interesting in this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the two... Uh, charity collectors are, of course, Bunsen and Beaker. Yeah. And I love, I've always loved Bunsen and Beaker. The guy that does Bunsen's handwork. Yeah. Deserves, like. A handy award. (laughs) He deserves whatever the puppet equivalent of an Oscar is. Oh, he's a wonder. Yeah. It's just, it's like this kind of Doug Jones-ish. Lon Chaney-ish use of his hands. The the bit not not to steal your thunder there because you were probably about to mention it, but the bit where he says like, "Oh, many people give alms frequently, so how how much can I put you down for?" And he rests his head on his his little melon head on his hand and drums his fingers against his cheek. Yeah, and it's I'm like, God, this rules. This is like it's just so good. It's so real. I love yeah. it. It's not like when Muppets have to walk, they just like bounce up and down. I get that we never cracked that technology. Yeah. Or like a little person rollerblading with a Miss Piggy wig. Anything digital and meaning like in the finger sense, not yeah. computer based. Like it's so great to see them work. And yeah, those two, much like the Swedish chef, they had to actually be like tactile puppets. Mm-hmm. So they're just reaching out and stuff. They have a song we got cut from the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, not to totally backtrack on the music, but if you get the uh, soundtrack, it has some goodies in there. Uh, it has When Love Is Gone, which is great. Mm-hmm. A couple of the songs are expanded. It has a longer version of uh, Marley and Marley, yeah. which, you know, I, I get why Like it's like four minutes. Maybe that's long for like 
a musical number in a kids movie. But that song is great, so I don't mind yeah. an extra an extra chapter. Uh, and there are two, I think there are two that were just cut entirely from the film. One of those is a song that Sam the Eagle sings to very young Scrooge, like yeah. chairman of the board. And it's the only song that I don't think is very good. I mm-hmm. get why they, Sam, Sam's a great character. Yeah. But it's him going like, you will work. For a living, it's a voice that's designed not to be singable. Yeah, and this—it's also just like the worst song. It's boring. It doesn't move the plot ahead. It's just like, oh, oh, save money and you'll do well in the future. Yeah, this this was already implied. This is yeah. Boring. Same thing with Bunsen and Beaker. I will admit this song doesn't advance the plot. And I, it's called Room in Your Heart for Love. I get why they cut it. It, it is superfluous in a way that most of the others are not. It's pretty catchy, though. Yeah. It's like a minute and a half, and it's just bunting it. What you're missing is fun, Scrooge. It's sad but true. When you're ready to start, there's room in your heart for love. I'm like, this is cool. This is awesome. I get why it was on the cutting room floor, but I'm glad yeah. it's on the CD. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're a nerd the way that a pair of us seem to be, and you've never listened to the soundtrack, it's got a couple goodies on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, other than that, the, the movie, just like we said, gorgeous to look at. The creatures, I love the ghosts are great. Like, mm-hmm. with, with the Ghost of Christmas Future, they had to think of something like, well, how can it not just be a guy with a hood? And so they do stuff like the dimensions, where it's way too tall. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's not... It's not technically death, because you, you don't have to sign. Yeah, it's meant to be evocative of, you know, shadows and sadness and everything without actually being it, the specter of the Reaper. It's almost reminiscent of... Uh, Destiny from the Endless. Yeah. And then, uh, as we already mentioned, this legitimately kind of a strange, sylph-like ghost of Christmas past. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's great. Uh, Or he seems kind of gender neutral, to be honest. Like an aerial figure. Uh, As a Tempest, of course, not Mermaid. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, that's, that's very well done. Again, I like how... Christmas Past and Christmas Future, they, they're not silly. Yeah. It's not like, like the ghost of Christmas Past catches her foot and trips through the window and you know, banters a little bit. They're like yeah. purely weird and alien, whereas the humanity is saved for Ghost of Christmas Present, who's kind of, I want to say, one of the best original Muppets in the film. Yeah. I love Muppets that are dudes in costumes. Yeah. And so you have, it's like this great big Falstaffian thing, huge ruddy cheeks. Uh, my two favorite details, front and back. At one point, he sings about how it's nice getting warm by fire. He shakes his ass. And so they get, this is like a, this is a juicy puppet. This is like a thick muppet that they gave us underneath his bathrobe. So that's kind of <laughs> cute. But my favorite thing about him is the way that he talks. <laughs> He has, like, a very angelic, you know, huge cheeks, huge, big red bushy beard. And then he has a little mouth that flaps up and down. And it, it, it doesn't look fakey. It looks cool. But he, his lip movements are the same as a Chinese dragon during a New Year parade. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a really terrific effect. And there's stuff in there, like... Uh, there's a scene I love, which is largely taken from the uh, the book. The same way that Scrooge playing with the, the family is like, when they can't even see him. That's like the warmest, kind of, most uh, welcoming moment. That's yeah. when you start to see him thaw. For me, the saddest moment in the whole thing isn't the him seeing his own grave. It's seeing that nobody cared. Yeah. So you see his like fellow bankers who here are pigs. Yeah. <laughs> Cleverly done. <laughs> nice work, Art Spiegelman. <laughs> you, 
and they see they're going like, well, I suppose I'll show up if lunch is provided. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they, they don't like him. They couldn't care less. And then it cuts to his housekeeper having not grave robbed him, but stolen everything out of the room. Yeah. In, in the, yeah. the thief king is a spider. Yeah. I love it. What's his name? Like Jim? Isn't it? Like, what do you got for the old Jim? Something, something like, like that. that. It's a spider, so it's this like large puppet. And there's like obviously multiple people like yeah. controlling it on the sides, and the woman who's selling to him is like a cricket or something. Mm-hmm. This was kind of like skeeter scooter puppets. Yeah, and so she after Scrooge dies, they just like grab the silverware and you know anything that's not nailed down and scutter out of the house. That's the most depressing thing in the story for me, and it has the great exchange where. She gives him the blankets from his deathbed. Yeah. And he takes goes like, what are they? Oh, these are still warm. I don't charge extra for the warmth. Yeah, well, you should. It was the only warm thing about him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> very, very well done there. Um, so, yeah, the music, the effects, the... I, I mean, go watch, like, Tom and Jeremy's... Tom and Jeremy's. Sorry, that was your your big breakout that I wrote. Yeah, Tom and Jerry's uh, Willy Wonka movie to see like textbook how not to do this shit. Yeah, do a worse version of something people like with your own shitty characters like stenciled into the corners. Watch Tom and Jerry to see anything that sucks. Okay, <laughs> I, I that's something where like even the old ones with like. With its like kind of Chuck Jones's physical humor, yeah. Even those, I look at them and go, "Oh, I can appreciate the craft of this academically." Yeah. Never liked the characters. Never thought they were funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, unlike the Muppets, where it's, it's just super charming. Uh, I, I fully admit my bias. Like I saw it when I was a little kid, and there's mm-hmm. that old joke: like, is it a masterpiece, or did you see it when you were eight? Yeah. And I'm willing to come at these things with a somewhat objective view. Mm-hmm. I love the Dark Crystal. I would recommend the Dark Crystal. I recognize that in narrative terms, the Dark Crystal is not top shelf. Yeah. That the first half hour of the movie is two large puppets wheezing at each other while they hit a rock with a sword. Mm-hmm. Same thing, Labyrinth, you know, wonderful movie, classic, sleepover classic, blah, blah, blah. I get that it has, like, pacing issues and it maybe functions better on, like, dream logic than real logic. Yeah. And I can't remember, like, what sequence the scenes happen in. Yeah. So, but on a technical level, it's quite amazing, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So I I get that uh, I have a little bias towards this one, but honestly, having watched it over the years and coming back to it, and I think it's had a bit of a reappraisal, too. Yeah. So, like, when it came out, it was just like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, The Muppets doing a Christmas movie. It's exactly what you'd think. Got mm-hmm. okay reviews. I think it was, like, a very modest, like, cost $20 million and made $22 million, like Yeah. Like, that kind of movie. And it's in an era where people are going, like, Elf is the greatest Christmas movie. And I'm going, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, it's, like... If I want Feral, I'll watch Anchorman, for God's yeah. sake. <laughs> and I do want Feral. <laughs> um, it, it's nice that not just in the same way as like Space Jam and Hocus Pocus and a million other things where the appeal is honestly lost on me a little bit, mm-hmm. especially Space Jam, this does hold up. Yeah. And one day, if I ever have kids over to the house because their parents wanted me to babysit, then I would probably show them this version of the story. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's my take on it. Yeah. Overall, it's just a... It's a wonderful movie, you know? It's... You, it's a great Christmas movie. Uh, it's a great movie... Period. It's a great Muppet movie. Yeah. It's a great musical. It hits kind of on all cylinders. You know what? And I'm glad you make those distinctions because you could just break it down with the title. 
The Muppet Christmas Carol. As a Muppet movie, it's good. As a Christmas movie, it's good. As a Carol movie, it's good. Mm-hmm. I know some people are going to prefer like the uh, lesbian drama with Kate Blanchett. Uh, I think this is better. I think it tackles the same topics with a more sympathetic <laughs> viewpoint. I'm joking, obviously. Uh, that'd be a great double feature, right? <laughs> that's, that's like a Simpsons sign joke. Tonight, the Muppet Christmas Carol. Tomorrow, Carol. <laughs> um... But yeah, it it kind of works on all fronts for me. It, the joke reminds me of when Bart goes and he goes behind the beaded curtain that says adult films. Yeah. He goes behind the beaded curtain and looks and his eyes widen and he, his, his face kind of droops and it says like uh, Fellini, uh, Pasolini, like care, people like that. Like yeah. From a... Yeah, that. but something something tells me Bart would really dig the trilogy of life. Yeah, well, that's the great thing about Bart's character is that he's a not terribly bright ten year old, and yet all of his references are either nineteen forties America or eighteen nineties England. <laughs> yeah, I'm same thing. One of the great lines the uh, ever in Simpsons. I got to see an R-rated movie once. It was called Barton Fink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's there. You have it, the Muppet Muppet Christmas Carol. And as for Gigantic Jeremy, who did not die, <laughs> I love I love how that's in the book. Yes, that sounds like a line from the movie. If you go back and read. Like Charles Dickens's novella, it has a, and as for Tiny Tim, who did not die, you know, like his hand reaches out of the book and points at you. Yeah, I know what you were thinking, dumb nut. So you got another think coming. Uh, yeah, you did not die. You made it through twenty twenty. I think I did too. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken. Been a rough year. I hope everyone's doing okay. Uh. This shit sucks, and I hope it's over soon, and I think a lot of people way over our heads dropped the ball, and mm-hmm. who knows if... I, I'm not terribly sanguine, but I guess you can always hope that things will be... that that uh, strangers will do a little better in the future. Yeah. Well, the, they're, things are looking pretty good f- for the vaccine. One hopes, uh, but... Leaving that aside for the moment, we'll keep this uh, seasonal and just say, uh, yeah, it's never a bad time to uh, donate to great charities like uh, bail relief funds and the Trevor Project and many others. And especially right now, it's never been not less of a worse time to do better. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Anyways, I think uh, I think that about wraps it up. Everyone, uh, please like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, just in general, happy holidays to everyone, and we'll see you back in 2021. And that's all I have to say. Wait, no, it isn't. God bless us, everyone. Hello. If you can, please give to charities for those disenfranchised in these still troubled times. An example might be the Elbow Project, which helps black trans people with food, shelter, and other needs of life. Also, support the Trevor Project, a mental health hotline for LGBTQ youths in trouble. Uh, as for Nathaniel, you can find him at the Pretendium Compendium, his own podcast, where he talks about Dungeons and Dragons and other fantasy fare. Uh, if you would like to see more of me, you can find me on my YouTube channel, Jeans, which is J E E M S. 
You can find me on my Tumblr, which is also Jeans, my TikTok, Jeans84, my Twitter, the show's Twitter is at Indytolerable, and I'm at MyPlanetIsJ, and you can find me on my Instagram at at MyPlanetIsJeremy. We are available on Anchor, SoundCloud, Spotify, and several other podcast platforms. Now, on with the show. Thank uh-huh.